Thank you for tuning in to the Tulsa Bible Church Sermons Podcast. You are listening to Pastor Jared Ruiel as he continues his sermon series in Colossians. If you'd like more information on this, you can visit our website at tulsabible.org. If I started out and, and described for you all the different ways to cook shrimp, shrimp and potatoes, pan-fried shrimp, deep-fried shrimp, stir-fried shrimp, shrimp and grits, shrimp and steak, shrimp and salad, shrimp salad, shrimp salad sandwich. You guys immediately probably think of uh, one of my, my favorite friends on the entire planet, Benjamin Buford Blue, also known as Bubba and Forrest Gump. Um, there's a scene in Forrest Gump that I've, I've always remembered and, and it's a, just a really great scene on friendship. Uh, as they're going through the, the jungles of Vietnam during this story, a rain just starts falling out of nowhere. Forrest is narrating this in the background, and he simply says, all of a sudden it started raining, and it didn't stop raining for four months straight. And he talked about the different kinds of rain, right? He said there was... There was the light, uh, stinging rain. There was the big old fat rain. There was sideways rain, and there was rain that seemed to come up from the ground. It was raining everywhere. And him and Bubba sit there as they're about to camp out under this just torrential downpour. And Bubba says something to about, about friendship that's really stuck in my mind. He said, he said, Forrest, you just sit right here I'm going to lean my back up against yours. You lean your back, back up against mine, and that way we can sleep without our heads falling in the mud. Really great, great thought on friendship. Life is muddy. Ministry is muddy. The Apostle Paul in Colossians has talked us through the difficulties, the things that he was struggling with and approaching in the book of Colossians for the church in Colossae, but, but in general, he's going to end this book on, on passages about ministry friendship, friendships, the, uh, the acquaintances, the deeper relationships that we have, that we can rest against each other, we can lean on each other when life gets really muddy. By far the most moving piece on friendship that I've ever read comes from C.S. Lewis's Four Loves. He's got a chapter on friendship love, it's phileo love. And he addresses the fact that we don't necessarily need friends, but without them, it's a whole lot harder to survive. He's got a really good quote that goes something like this. It says, friendship is unnecessary, like philosophy. Everybody's saying, yeah, man, please. Like philosophy, like art, it has no survival value. Rather, it is one of those things which gives value to survival. We've been in the book of Colossians for a while now. I've been teaching through it through two main sections. We've been looking at identity truth at the beginning of the book and identity transformation at the end of the book. The first part of Colossians chapter 1, 1 through 2 verse 5 talked about who we are in Christ. It answered that uh, most important question that will carry us really not only into salvation but through our Christian life. Who am I in Christ? The second part of the book was identity transformation, and from chapter 2, verse 6, all the way till now, to the end of, of Colossians, he's talked about and asking and answering this question. How do I now live based on my identity? 
in Christ. And so when Paul closes this letter, he addresses three areas of a transformed life. We talked about the first two last week, Colossians 4, verses 2 through 6. We talked about a transformed prayer life, a transformed public life, especially as it relates to evangelism and our speech before unbelievers. Thirdly, he's going to talk about a transformed personal life, transformed personal relationships. And part of what the Apostle Paul is saying here is, is that the gospel and who we are in Christ should transform not only parts of us, but every aspect of who we are. Down to the depths of our heart, the gospel transforms all areas of our life, not just some. And so it's not accurate to say that the gospel is what saves non-Christians, and then once you become a Christian, you just try harder to be a good person. Actually, what the Apostle Paul will say is that, yes, the gospel is for the non-believers and gives them an identity in Christ, a new eternal destination, a new significance, and a new meaning. But it also transforms all of our personal relationships. One of my, my favorite pastors put it this way. He said, the gospel is not just the ABCs of salvation, it's the A to Z of the Christian life. And so as believers, the gospel isn't something that we understand, get through, work past, and now we're on to something else. Actually, as believers, we are converted by the truth of the gospel, we live by the gospel, we breathe the gospel, and we grow in gospel transformation. Everything ultimately comes back to the gospel. And so, so really, it's no surprise for me that the Apostle Paul ends Colossians chapter 4 by addressing how the gospel has transformed his personal relationships. It's no surprise to me that he mentions specific individuals who have ministered in the gospel with him. It's no surprise to me that he has friends that he can lean his back against to keep his head from hanging in the mud when ministry gets muddy, when life gets muddy. When Paul closes the book of Colossians, he specifically mentions 10 people by name. It's the longest closing of an epistle other than the book of Romans. Romans is the only other closing for the Apostle Paul in any of his letters that mentions more people than Colossians. In Romans, he mentions 26 people. Here in Colossians, he mentions specifically 10. We're going to talk about just about all of them this, this morning. I want to be straightforward about the end of Colossians here. We're going to talk about friendship. And I don't think there's a direct command here to, to pursue necessarily godly friendships. You're not going to see a, a, an imperative that Paul uses to tell you exactly how to select your friends, how to keep your friends, or how to dive deeper into your friendships. But by application, he's going to talk about how his relationships, how his friendships are different because of the gospel. And by application, we as believers, as we close this book, need to think about all of our friendships as well. And we need to be asking ourselves, how are our friendships changed and transformed by the truth of the gospel on a daily basis? So let's, let's plug in here. And instead of using uh, points for my outline, I'm actually going to use just verses from Proverbs and kind of tap into some friendship ideas as, as Paul closes Colossians. Proverbs 17, verse 17 says this, A friend loves at all times and... A brother is born for times of adversity. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for times of adversity. I want you to look down at Colossians chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 7 through 9. 
In the ESV, it says this. Tychicus, and it, listen, I, I know great and wise things that other people don't know. Brad, Brad and I do because we, and Scott, we all graduated from Dallas Seminary. One of the things that we know is how to pronounce all these names. <laughs> I have no idea. All right, so just bear with me. If you hear another sermon on these verses, the pastor's probably going to say Tychicus or something like that. I, I have no idea. Um, Colossians 4, verse 7. Tychicus will tell you about all my activities. He is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Verse 9. With him, Onesimus, another familiar name from the New Testament, our faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. They will tell you everything that has taken place here. Verses 7 through 9 identify what commentators firmly believe are the carriers of this letter that Paul wrote to the church in Colossae. And two specific men are mentioned, Tychicus and Onesimus. And I want you to briefly look at this verse on the screen, Ephesians 6, 21 and 22. When the Apostle Paul closed Colossians, it sounds eerily similar to the ending of the close in the book of Ephesians. In fact, a lot of the same phrases and words are actually repeated verbatim. Ephesians 6, 21 and 22. So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent them to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And, and again, these verses are almost the exact replica, which has led scholars to believe that Ephesians and Colossians were probably carried at the very same time by the very same person. The Apostle Paul had these relationships that were deep in the New Testament. They often associated closely with one another. And because of travel and what it took to transport letters and messages like this, perhaps these two letters were delivered at the same time by the same guy. By the way, did you see uh, the price of stamps today? 60 cents, Harold. Can't believe this nonsense. Do you know, you know you're getting old when you think about the price of stamps? And it, and it bothers you, okay? So here's the thing, guys. There's this thing called email out there. It's absolutely free. It's absolutely free. I, I know it's, it's crazy. I don't know how the U.S. Postal Service is, exists right now, but at 60 cents is crazy. So, hey, just use it. It's free. Just send an email. You can send all your Christmas cards via email. Are we good? Covered? All right. In the first century, there was no postal service. There was no UPS. There was no FedEx. Instead, if you were going to send a letter to somebody, you had to have a personal courier that you knew and could be trusted to deliver the message, deliver the letter to who you wanted it to go to in a timely manner. Paul's couriers were not like today's postal service men. Paul's couriers knew him personally. They were not just passive mail carriers. These men not only delivered the letter, but they elaborated on Paul's context, on his situation, on what was happening as he was imprisoned for the gospel. Not only did they deliver this timely and, and very contextual, very personal letter to the church in Colossae, addressing very specific needs at that time that that church had, but they were delivered by men that this church knew, that the Apostle Paul personally knew. And he could speak into those situations at an even deeper level 
than we understand. Paul uses a, a threefold description for Tychicus. He calls him a, a beloved brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant. And beloved brother, when you see that in the New Testament, typically it's, it's just used as a way of designating believer versus unbeliever. But most people think when the Apostle Paul uses this phrase at the end of his letters, it's different than when he uses it at the beginning of his letters. Most people think that beloved brother here is actually more intimate, more closely connected than other people in the ministry. Again, this is somebody who is leaning his back against the Apostle Paul to help him keep his head out of the mud. A faithful minister could refer to the ministry of Paul, maybe Tychicus, and, and certainly we would assume he was a faithful minister to the Apostle Paul, but he could also have been a faithful minister to the Colossian believers as well. He could be referring to the faithfulness that he's already exhibited to the church that met there in Colossae. Finally, fellow servant. And this is different than what Paul typically uses at the end of his letters to describe his co-workers in the ministry. Most of the time, the Apostle Paul will call them fellow workers. It's a, the Greek word is synergos, um, working similarly is what you would probably hear. It's where we get our English word synergy from. We don't know why he used instead fellow servant rather than fellow worker. But for whatever reason, he describes Tychicus in this threefold manner. And nowhere else in the Old Testament, no other person that the Apostle Paul ministered with is described in the exact same way that Tychicus is described here. In fact, the only person that gets close to this in his letter writings is Epaphroditus. When you go back to Philippians chapter 2, it talks about Epaphroditus and how he gave his life, almost risking his life for the ministry of the gospel. Tychicus is the, the one that gets uh, just as much, almost as much acclimated as Epaphroditus. This, these are close companions in ministry. And here's what we know about him. Tychicus makes his first appearance in the New Testament in Acts chapter 20, verse 4, when Paul is on his way to Jerusalem. In other places in the New Testament, Paul sent Tychicus to Crete to help Titus as he was establishing and planting a church on that island. He sends him to Ephesus again at the end of 2 Timothy when Paul knows that his death is near. He calls Tychicus to go and, and send a letter to Ephesus. This man traveled with and for Paul. He was deeply trusted by Paul. He spent a lot of ministry hours with Paul. His purpose is depicted as threefold. Deliver the letter, share about how Paul is doing in imprisonment, and number three, encourage people's hearts. And that's really important because remember, the Colossian believers knew that he was imprisoned for the gospel, and that might have been very defeating for them. Tychicus is supposed to come along and say the truth about what's happening as Paul is ministering with the gospel in prison and talking about all the faithful things that were happening, all the great things, all the encouraging aspects of his ministry. Because in the New Testament, what happens is a lot of times persecution leads to growth, not only for Christian churches, but for Christian individuals as well. When things get hard, usually that's when uh, the fruit is produced the most. That's when the harvest separates itself from everything else, from the chaff and from the weeds. Some might have been extremely discouraged. Tychicus had a message of encouragement for the church. Tychicus probably came alongside Paul in a time of great adversity, in a time of trial and suffering. 
There's four letters we know that Paul wrote from prison. We call them the prison epistles, Colossians, Ephesians, Philemon, and Philippians. We don't know anything about that imprisonment. We don't know what, if it house arrest and, and what that looked like. We don't know how much suffering there really was. 2 Corinthians 11 is probably the passage that you would go to, to to listen to Paul as he depicts a life of faithful ministry through trials and suffering, but it's only general descriptions. It's not very detailed. All we really know is that these two men were tight in ministry and they went through stuff together. They went through hard times together. Proverbs 17, verse 17 is interesting because it mentions two types of relationships. It mentions a friend and it mentions a brother. It says, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. Those of you who have gone through difficulties in life, perhaps you have a good friend who came alongside of you through a diagnosis. Perhaps you lost a loved one and somebody faithfully ministered alongside of you, just loving and encouraging you the whole time. Those of you who have been through war with fellow soldiers, those of you who have been through difficulties in life, you know that those relationships go stronger and tighter through adversity. I think that's the case for Paul and Tychicus. I think they were tight because they endured adversity together. I think they were friends. I think they were brothers. All right, so Paul sends Tychicus with Onesimus in verse 9. And we actually know quite a bit about Onesimus because there's a whole book written about this guy. It's called Philemon in your New Testament. Onesimus was likely a runaway slave who met Paul in prison. And almost every commentator will say that while he was in prison, because he was caught as a runaway slave, that's when the apostle Paul ministered to him shared the gospel with him, and he became a believer at that time. Onesimus could have been the slave of Philemon. Philemon's church was, guess what, in what city? Colossae. And so Philemon was probably delivered at the same time as Ephesians and as Colossians in the New Testament. And if you look at the names that Paul mentions in the book of Philemon, they're going to sound very similar to the names that Paul mentions in the book of Colossians. These guys were traveling missionaries, church planters together for the gospel, for reaching people, for the sake of Christ. Paul shared the gospel with Onesimus. He trusted Christ. He calls him our faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. And, and some people would say that one of you means that he's from Colossae. He has the same area that he grew up in, is the same area that your church exists in. Other people say one of you could also mean that he was converted by the ministry of the Apostle Paul, just like many of those in Colossae were converted by the ministry of the Apostle Paul. There's a double entendre, two meanings that are captured in this description of Onesimus. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Second thing about friendships, Proverbs 18, verse 24. One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin but there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Look down at verse 10. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. We'll talk about that in a second. Concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, 
These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. What a, what a description for somebody to put in a book. Think about your epitaph on your gravestone. How about that one for Epaphras? Always struggled on behalf of others. Verse 13, for I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Verse 14, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, gospel writer Luke, as does Demas. Demas, of course, was one who uh, deserted the Apostle Paul at the end of 2 Timothy. Not too many positive things are said there. Verse 15, give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church that met in her house. Interesting that the woman is mentioned, the church that met in her house. Everybody talks about the patriarchal-dominated society. Apparently, Christianity had something to offer Nympha that maybe the culture didn't, uh, which is terribly important as you think about some of those little phrases at the end of this book. The names in verses 10 through 15 shift now from the senders of the letter, Tychicus and Onesimus, to the close personal friendships and ministry with the Apostle Paul. Aristarchus is the first mention, and he is, he is listed in Acts chapter 29 as a traveling companion with the Apostle Paul. Aristarchus was a, a resident of Thessalonica. As part of his Greek ministry, he accompanied Paul at least on the early stages of his first missionary journey. That goes back to Acts chapter 11 and 12. But he accompanied Paul specifically on his journey to Jerusalem, Acts 27. If you read Acts 27, you're going to go back and you'll, you'll read a lot about Aristarchus. He might have gone all the way with Paul to Rome, to his beheading. We really don't know. We don't have that information but he was closely with him towards the end of his life, which is important. Aristarchus is described as a fellow prisoner. Verse 10, again, that might be literal or it could be metaphorical. Maybe he was imprisoned for the gospel with the Apostle Paul, physical chains, or maybe he had been taken captive by the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ in the gospel. And it's just a metaphorical description of him. We don't know. The next person after Aristarchus brings up a man who had somewhat of a checkered history with the Apostle Paul, because the text does not just say Mark or John Mark, as some of your other references in the New Testament will. It actually says, Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. Remember, Paul's first missionary companion. They sent him out two by twos. You guys remember the song? Two by two? I don't remember it. It's famous. It's out there somewhere. Paul and Barnabas. Those were, the, those were the two guys that first went out as missionaries, uh, Acts 11 and 12. Mark was first mentioned in Paul's first missionary journey, Acts 11 and 12. His family, his mom, actually had a church that met in her house. And so uh, Mark and Barnabas are cousins in this context. Paul's first missionary journey companion was the son of encouragement, it was Barnabas. And Barnabas' cousin was Mark. In Acts 15, something terrible happened that never happens in our world, ever. Two people in ministry had a sharp disagreement together. Anybody know anything about those things? 
to happen in the church. We need to be dealt with very carefully, quickly, and biblically so that more division and and more um, disunity doesn't spread its way into the body of Christ. A sharp disagreement arose between Paul and Barnabas, the first missionary partners together. What better team could you ask for than the church-planting, earth-shattering, church-changing missionary and apostle Paul and the son of encouragement together in ministry? You couldn't ask for a better team. But between those two guys, a a sharp disagreement arose over John Mark because Mark deserted them when they were in Pamphylia. And here's the thing about the Apostle Paul. He's not going to trust another guy that deserted him in ministry. He's got too many things to do. He's got a gospel ministry at stake. He is traveling. He is going endlessly. He is praying constantly for all of these churches. This guy up and left him. And so he doesn't want to go with them. And here's Barnabas saying, look, man, this is my cousin. This is family to me. We can take him. It's okay. He failed once. Let's let's stay with him. It happens in life. Things happen. Paul says no. Barnabas goes one way with John Mark, and Paul goes the other way. And through that division, guess what happened? The church grew. More churches were planted. The gospel spread. So even through a a hard time of disunity and and certainly discomfort among these missionary teams, even through the stuff of life, even through the things that Satan might cause for our harm and disunity, God causes it for good and for unity. There's something beautiful that takes place here. And we see it at the end of Colossians. Because what does the Apostle Paul now say about John Mark? He says something totally different. It's been at least, it's probably, most people date the separation in Acts 15. Most people date that about 49 AD. Most people date Colossians, the writing of this book, 61 or 60 AD. It's probably about 12 years have transpired since this sharp disagreement between Barnabas and Paul and John Mark goes the other way. And all of a sudden he comes back and he talks about it. He says, my fellow prisoner greets you, verse 10, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instruction, if, if he comes to you, welcome this man. Right. Even, in the, even in the closing of his letters, Paul values ministry relationships so much that if there still is a tension there, we don't know, but if there still is a tension, he's about restoring it. He's about making it right. There might have been a time there that was just too difficult to overcome. We've got vision for ministry. Philosophies are different. And so it makes sense for us to part ways and go another way. But right now, reconciliation and restoration is the word of the day. We're not going to let that be the final say in our relationship. We're going to let the gospel be the final say. We're going to let redemption be the final say. We're going to let forgiveness be the final say. So many things to think about that we don't know. Maybe this is one of the things that Tychicus could have further explained to the church in Colossae. Maybe this is one of them. Even in his closing greeting, he's thinking about relationships. So two men sent the letter, Tychicus and Onesimus. Three men, Aristarchus, Mark, and Justus, were probably Jewish converts to the faith that were with the Apostle Paul. These three men were very significant. They were close to him. 
they have been a great comfort to me, is what the Apostle Paul says. Let's look down at verse 16. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. Laodicea was a very close city, uh, very similar paths for the gospel. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that I have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. If you were to stack up all the books, all the great stories, all the great novels written in the last hundred years on romance, you would have a stack of books that goes from here to the moon, around the moon, around Mars, and back again. If you were to make a a same stack of books right next to that, and you put all the great stories, all the great novels written in the last hundred years on true, deep, meaningful friendship, you'd probably have a stack about this high. What is it about our culture, what is it about our relationships that we are so obsessed with romance that we have very little time for deep, meaningful, significant relationships? Men with men, women with women. It's an epidemic and it's a problem. And so again, I want to I talk just about biblical, gospel-saturated relationships. C.S. Lewis say that few value friendships because few really experience them. Do you have a Bubba in your life that you can lean up against when life gets muddy? Um, Lewis even makes a comment in his book on uh, his chapter on friendship. He says, some people experience a connection, men to men and women to women, that's so tight, they actually think it's a, a sexual love. And he says, no, it's not. He says, those who cannot conceive friendship as a, a substantive love, but only as a disguise or an elaboration of eros, romance love, betray the fact that they have never had a friend. Maybe you feel so connected to that person of the same sex because that's a true friend that you've never had before. And so don't cross that line of sin and pursue that friendship how God has designed you to pursue it. Maybe there's a close intimacy between another guy if you're a guy or another girl if you're a girl that's simply a gospel, deeply rooted friendship. Paul closes by by mentioning deep friendships with Epaphras, He talks about Luke, the gospel writer, the Gentile who came to the faith, the great physician. He talks about Demas who deserted him later on. He talks about Nympha and he talks about Archippus. And I want to close with just with two, two thoughts on friendship. Number one, trusted friends are worth remembering by name. Any, uh, any funeral that you come out to at TBC, and we've had several of them lately. You guys know this. Trusted friends are worth remembering by name. Remember in Colossians, one of Paul's primary reasons for writing this letter was because false teachers were wreaking havoc in this area of Colossae, in the area where Paul was trying to plant churches where the gospel was a pioneer gospel efforts. They were hearing the gospel for the very first time. 
One of the primary reasons why Paul writes Colossians is to, to say, watch out for these false teachers. Watch out for these men. They're trying to take little bits and pieces of Christianity, and they're trying to wrap it into these other philosophies, other traditions, other ideas. And at the end of the day, you are left with this syncretistic gospel that had a little bit of truth to it, but then it had all this other stuff that wasn't the gospel, right? It wasn't Jesus. Might have been good advice, might have been great philosophies, but it wasn't the gospel. And it's really interesting in the book of Colossians that not one time does Paul say exactly what that body of, of teaching was, that false teaching. is never labeled in the book of Colossians. He talks about philosophies, he talks about teaching, just very general descriptions. Not once does he label it specifically. And not once does he talk about specifically who those false teachers are. It'd be certainly easy if somebody said, Gary's a false teacher over there in the Mac Oasis room, stay, stay away from Gary, Right? That's not the situation in, that's not the situation at Tulsa Bible Church. That's not the situation in Colossae. We don't, we don't know who these false teachers are, but here's what we do know. We do know specifically who the men are that you can trust. Instead of dwelling, instead of making their names even have somewhat of notoriety or significance, I'm not even going to mention who they are, but here's who I will mention. Tychicus, Epaphras, Luke. These are worthy men of the gospel who live a lifestyle that is honoring to Christ, who know the truth and who are teaching the truth clearly. You will not be led astray under the ministry of Gary Braswell, Forrest Cowan, Travis Jones, Tom Whitty, you will not be led astray under the ministry of Don Dunn. So many of us are captured and caught up in the truth of the gospel. So much so that we want to give our life to teach it. Paul remembers them by name. Kennedy has ruined my life, you guys. <laughs> this is not that emotional, Verwheel. <laughs> Seriously. Dean Peters, truth of the gospel. You can fix stuff. Harold, he's our deacon chairman. He'll help you out with anything, anything. He'll give you the shirt off his back, and he'll suffer first to comfort you. And guess what? He's got a true gospel. Tight ministry friendships are life-changing. They're for everlasting perspective and significance, and they're worth remembering. Number two, friends guide each other on a journey to penetrate the heart. True friends guide each other on a journey to penetrate the heart. Uh, there's a quote here from Lewis again in his chapter on friendship. Fairly confident he stole this from Tolkien. It says this, those who are going nowhere can have no fellow travelers. Those who are going nowhere can have no fellow travelers. You really got to go back in history to find all the great books that were written, the literary great works on friendships. There's uh, Emerson wrote an essay, 
came out of the Enlightenment time period, Cicero, early Roman, um, actually politician and philosopher, he wrote on friendship. All of them say the same thing, all of them. C.S. Lewis said the same thing. Scripture will tell you the same thing as well, and that is this. Friendships are discovered, they are not made. Friendships are discovered, they are not made, which means you will never find a true friend if you are always looking for a true friend. You will never find a true friend if all you do is look around for a friend. I need a friend, I need a friend, give me a friend. How come nobody wants to be my friend? Please be my friend. These aren't my words, I'm just going to read them for you. That is why those pathetic people who simply want friends can never make any friends. The very condition of having friends is that we should want something besides friends. Why, Lewis asks, there would be nothing for the friendship to be about. Those who have nothing can share nothing. But when two such persons discover one another, whether with immense difficulties or semi-articulate rumblings, or with what who will seem to us amazing and elliptical speed, they share a vision. And it's through that that a friendship is born. You ever wonder why Paul takes so much time at the end of his letters to greet ministry partners, his friends in ministry? There was already something that the friendship was about. There was already something that drew them together before they even knew each other. These are, these are men and even women who were committed to the glory of God through gospel ministry. There was a common tie. There was a deep desire. They loved the same things. They longed for the same things. They preached the same gospel. They had the same vision. There was something there for the friendship to be about, which was the glory of God. Are deep, abiding friendships optional? You can survive without them. But survival would be that much more difficult if you don't have them. And here's the thing. Jesus totally reoriented everything about friendships in the gospel. Remember what Jesus said in John 15 about friends? Jesus called the disciples his friends. In John 15, verse 13, he said something that goes like this. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for who? His friends. Jesus transformed everything about our personal relationships by showing us what friendship is born out of and what it takes to keep good friends, what it takes to make those friends, what it takes to develop meaningful friendships by giving yourself completely to the glory of God for the sake of people who are your friends. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Jesus looked at our lives, enemies of the gospel, enemies of the cross of Christ, and he said, Brad, He's a friend. Kenny is a friend. 
all of our friendships should be drastically different, not only because of what Jesus did for us, but what the gospel continues to do for us and through our relationships. So I want you to think differently about your friendships. I want you to think about it in terms of the sacrifice of the gospel, and I want you to think about personal friendships that matter most to you. Maybe your takeaway from this as we close up Colossians is to, you've probably been thinking about deep friendships that you've had in your life. Maybe it's to, to give them a call this afternoon. Maybe it's to write them a letter. I hope that you're thinking of a friend in your life that has taken the time to communicate the gospel to you. I hope you have a deep friend who is discipling you in the faith. If you don't have that, guys, friends in the gospel, guys with guys, older disciple the younger. Ladies, older ladies disciple the younger ladies. Make these friendships in the gospel, and I, and I guarantee you, life will get muddy. And if you wanna keep your head out of the mud, at times you gotta lean your back against your friends, and it'll make all the difference in the world. Let's pray. Father in heaven, again, we just uh, we thank you for, for this great book of Colossians. We thank you for the chance that um, we get to peer in just a little bit, just a, a small and a general meaning, a, a general sense, a little bit into the life of the friendships of the Apostle Paul. Thank you for his heart for restoration and reconciliation as he ended this letter of Colossians. I thank you for the, um, the partners that he had in ministry, that when life got really tough, he had guys that he could lean up against who were just as passionate about the gospel as he was. I thank you for the opportunity that all of us have to do life with true, meaningful friends. I pray that all of us would take time to develop those relationships, uh, to keep them, strong, to value them, to remember them. Lord, and most of all, we, we think of uh, you not only as our, our Savior and our King, but we thank you that you consider us your friends, that you died for your friends. And I pray that um, that, would, that would color and influence all of our relationships that we have, not only here in the body of Christ at TBC, our friends in classes and small groups, but also our friends outside of, outside of this church. Lord, we thank you again for this opportunity to look into this book, and we pray that you would continue to use your truth as we just look at Scripture and the details of it, that our hearts might be changed through the Holy Spirit by what you're doing, not only here in Tulsa, but around the world. We ask all these things to you, Father, through the Son and by the Spirit. For you three are the one true God. And there is no God besides you. Amen. Amen.